the International Space Station, which has been well sampled, is full of bacteria and fungi. The Russian space station had beer yeasts and dust mites. And so if, if the, they can't scrub the space station lifeless, you're not going to scrub your kitchen lifeless. Give us a sense of scale and scope of who's living with us, what's living with us. I don't know. I imagine maybe we would find 10 species in the average house. The first house for which we had data was my house, and it was 100-some species of animals, 100-some oh. species of animals. And so I thought, oh, that's really not good. Uh, <laughs> So there's this whole world that was there. And some of the stuff is really rare. Some of it we just see when it's dead, but there's a lot more there than you notice. And so the question that really comes back to us is, which life do we want? From this old house, this is Clear Story. Your home in a new light. I'm Kevin O'Connor. There is life in our houses. And I'm not talking about you or your family. I'm talking about hundreds of different kinds of creatures. Some have eight eyes, others scurry around on 400 legs, and a lot of them have body armor. Oh yeah, and they're everywhere. What do I do? That's a good question. So scientifically, what I do is to study the biology of daily life. Rob Dunn is an ecologist and a professor at North Carolina State University, and he's the author of Never Home Alone. And so that's really this old house, this new house, this old kitchen, this new kitchen. It's the life that's all around us that we tend to overlook. When you think of an ecologist, maybe you picture a lone scientist in a remote rainforest studying exotic species. And you'd be right. That's how Rob started out. Then I would come give talks in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I spent most of my time. And people would ask me at the end of the talk, you know, I'd talk about ants or beetles or something. And they'd say, well, what do I do about the ants in my kitchen? And this drove me nuts because it was like, I, you know, I study these things because I love them. They're beautiful. They're interesting. It took me a while to realize what they're really saying is, I listened to your entire boring hour-long talk, and this was the only possible way it mattered to me. And, and so I started to think, okay, what do we know about ants in kitchens? And that's when I began to realize that not very much. So Rob turned his attention from the rainforest to a different biome, the kitchen. He collaborated with a team of scientists to perform the first census of all of the life in our homes. And I mean all of it. The critters in the dark corners of the basement, the ones under the bathroom sink, and in the dusty attic. When you work in people's houses, it's not easy to ask, you know, can I go look under your bed? The study mainly looked at arthropods. Think spiders, centipedes, and cockroaches. Things with exoskeletons and jointed limbs. And in each of the 50 homes surveyed, there were between 32 and 211 different species. And what the scientists found was shocking. Craziest thing, lacewings are these green, beautiful insects you see flying around as adults, but as larvae, they look very different. And there's a weird lacewing that lives only with termites. And its life history is that it farts on termites to stun them, and then it eats them. It's, 
And so that's the weirdest. I mean, it's that's a, just weird. You know, like, I mean, as, like if you had a friend like that. It's the teenager of the insect species. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's. <laughs> if you asked me how many species are living in my house, I probably would have on impulse said five. And then if you pressed me, I would have said, okay, yeah, no, you're right. Let me, let me do spiders and mice. And, and I would have gotten to 10 or 12. I never would have imagined a hundred. I would just top out at 25. I would just say, I'm moving after 25. (laughs) How do you get to 100? And how do you miss them? So some of these things are microscopic or borderline microscopic. And so dust mites. Most houses have two or three species. Some have more. There's a leopard mite, which is slightly bigger than a dust mite and runs around eating them. And all of that you just don't see because it's quite small. But then the other thing is that we don't distinguish them. And so... If you would have asked me before we started this work, like how many spider species are in your house? I would have said, well, there's that kind of fat Sancho Panza one, and there's that like long, skinny Don Quixote one. But I think that's it. And there were 10 species in my house of spiders, and that's pretty normal. And I think part of what happens there is we, like our brains register spider. Right. And and they don't notice like, oh, wait, that one's totally different from the one that was there yesterday. We've been sharing our homes with other living creatures forever going back to the blood-feeding kissing bugs that bunked with us in caves. So the very oldest would be head lice and genital lice. And so head lice, our ancestors have had for millions of years. And so our closest relatives of our head lice are chimpanzee head lice. The closest relatives of our genital lice are gorilla lice, which speaks to a, a bad night in the jungle a long time ago. Over the centuries, as humans became less nomadic and decided to stick around in one place, bedbugs stuck around too. Bedbugs are really interesting in that regard. So bedbugs are really originally bat bugs. On bats, they're diurnal. So they would feed on the bats during the day. When they shifted to humans and became bedbugs, they became nocturnal. So they feed on us when we're sleeping at night. Once we started to farm and build bigger settlements, then all kinds of species started to move in. And so in Amarna, Egypt, 3,600 years ago or so, many of the species you would find in your house today were already present. And so the Egyptian pharaohs would have had several species of spiders. They had those house centipedes. They had meal moths. They had house flies. And so a lot of species move in with us very early and then kind of record our history as we move around the world, which I I think is really interesting. And so you can think like, well, what do I possibly have in common with a pharaoh? And the simplest answer is houseflies. All of these animals have developed sophisticated ecosystems inside our homes. They hunt, feast, and reproduce. And it's all happening while we sleep, make breakfast, or watch TV. We just don't notice it. And a good example of that is there's a teeny, teeny little wasp that's kind of like maybe a fruit fly and a half in length. Its sole uh, role in the house is that it lays eggs in the egg cases of cockroaches. And and the the wasp babies eat the baby cockroaches when they're still alive. And so it's Uh it's a brutal world under your bed. That's... Awful. But you would ne- you would never spot it. So when you surveyed your house, um, <laughs> did you find any 
egg-laying, cockroach-baby-eating wasps in your house? My wife has made me promise not to tell some things. Yeah, okay, I get that. For a second there, I was wondering if you were married, because when you said 100 species, I was thinking, oh, maybe he's a bachelor. (laughs) (laughs) How bad can it get? What does the number go up to? So I I think the most we saw was something like 150, 180, thereabouts. But there are two caveats. One is that a lot of this life is so poorly studied that we can't actually distinguish the species one from another. There's nobody on earth that we can send these things to. And so we just know that it's of this general group of flies. And so if there were an expert, probably it would be more species because they would say, oh, these two are different or these, these are actually six species. The, the other thing is we generally surmise that as you move toward the tropics, that the number goes up. And so if you're in a house in Peru, that probably you're, you have more species. You're not alone. You have companions and uh, they're watching you right now. Rob says life in our homes is just as fascinating as the rainforests he used to study. The biological world is still mostly unknown. It's also true of a forest behind your house. It's extra true of a rainforest. But it's shocking that it's true of where we live, where we sleep, where we spend all this time. And to me, this is a kind of beautiful part about this, which is if you're a kid listening, you know, there could be species in your house that no one on earth has ever studied before. In fact, there are species in your house that no one has ever studied before. And so when I was a kid, I imagined like all the good stuff had been studied. There was nothing left for me. And that couldn't be further from the truth. That's kind of magical, I think. Magical, sure. But it can also be creepy. More in a minute. Rob began studying what lives in our homes in his own home in North Carolina. He soon expanded his survey throughout the world. So far, nearly 4,000 people have visited his website at Rob Dunn Labs and have reported what they found in their own homes, from jumping spiders in Jakarta to longhorn beetles in Bangkok. In total, nearly 24,000 sightings have been cataloged, and the information that's poured in is fascinating. There's a group of crickets called camel crickets or cave crickets, and there are quite a few that are native to North America. And we know they sometimes live in basements. And so we sent out a survey, do you have these in your basements? And quickly, we had like 500 people respond. And the answers were, were wrong relative to what we knew as, as scientists. And so our first thought was, you know, maybe the, pu- the people are just don't know what these look like, or they're seeing a mouse, and they're just pretending it's not a mouse. And so we asked for pictures. And when we asked for pictures, what we found was that almost all of these were this giant Japanese camel cricket about the size of my thumb. And so this is a giant cricket that's moved house to house across North America. And at this point, scientists basically didn't know that this had happened. And as people move around the globe, these multi-eyed wing critters hitch rides with us. Even common basement critters have a story to tell. The species that most worries my wife are the house centipedes, which I find pretty lovely. 
but they do move in a very unusual and settling way. And so those are not popular. These are the little wiggly things with a million legs on the side. Yeah, and they, and they I mean, a lot of these species move with humans around the world. And so I mean, that's one that moved from the Fertile Crescent through Europe to the Americas. They're like the tigers of uh, your kitchen and, and bath. What does that mean, they're the tigers? They're the, they're the predators? Yeah, they're the top level predators. They love to eat cockroaches. I mean, I don't know if they love it. You know the lacewing farts, so you should at least know yeah. what they like in cockroaches. They prefer cockroaches. As to what kind of pleasure they experience, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> what, what do we do, Rob? Like, what should a person do when thinking about this? Because you've now just told a lot of people that their homes are infested. Do we care? What do we do? So it's a good question. So I think the, the first thing is to pause and, and to reflect on the fact that the way we think about the life around us today is a really a pretty modern invention. Like we've come to a moment where we think about species being around us in our, in our daily lives is it's just bad. Just if you can see it scurrying near you, it's bad. It's really very recent that we think that way. And it's very Europe sort of US centric. Meaning what? Meaning we cohabitated openly and kindly with these things back in the day? Yeah, back in the day in, in, in different places and paid more attention to them for sure. Two interesting anecdotes here. One is that there are some kinds of spiders called social spiders. They've evolved repeatedly in different regions. They make these webs of hundreds or thousands of individuals. And people both in Mexico and in South Africa figured out that they could bring an entire web of those spiders into their house and it would control the flies super effectively. Uh, and so your reaction to that, its if I tell the story, it's the normal one I get. I'd hope so. But it's also a reflection of how different our perspective is about that. Right. I also think we can step back and realize, okay, for most of our evolutionary history, we were interacting with many, many kinds of species every day. Right. And today, we live in a world in which when we interact with species, it's accidentally. And so what do we want? Like, what, what kind of interactions do we want moving forward? Most of us pay attention to the creatures living in our homes when we want to kill them. Pest control is a $20 billion global industry. People want to exterminate everything from house flies to cockroaches to termites. And Rob says some pest control is necessary when it comes to serious disease. Obviously, mosquitoes that vector malaria, that carry malaria from person to person, or dengue or yellow fever, in those cases, we really want to control them. I mean, if you've got rats in your house, if you've got mice in your house, control them. You know, they can be a problem. Okay, so get rid of the disease-carrying animals. Rob says that goes for bedbugs, fleas, and lice too. But trying to kill off all of the other life well, Rob says that is actually causing more problems than it helps. Even the cleaning and disinfecting that we do, especially this past year, could be messing with evolution. The more we clean and the stronger the chemicals we use to clean, the more we are acting as an agent of natural selection. The more we're actually disfavoring many species and favoring some species. And the species we favor when we do that are the species that are resistant to those chemicals. You know, if you spray pesticides around your house every week, and plenty of people do, what's going to be left over are the species that have evolved the ability to survive the pesticides. 
kills 99.9% of all bacteria splashed in bright yellow letters on the front of the bottle. Yeah, that's the worst percent to kill, right? <laughs> I mean, that, it shocks me that this is an ad. I mean, it, do the math. That means there's some left over. And the ones that are left over are not the weak ones, right? They're the ones right. that can survive whatever you've just sprayed. Right. Um, and kills 99%. Like, this is the definition of how evolution works. And so eventually we moved to that world. And now we, we've really embraced it. And it's kind of hard to go back because we become afraid. And then we see a product that will, will play to our fear, especially because it's also at this interface of hygiene, personal hygiene, how we feel about ourselves. It's kind of got this feedback built into it. Evolution and natural selection is going on in my basement. Yeah, your basement is like the little Galapagos island of your house. <laughs> oh, man. And it's not just the chemicals that are having unintended consequences. Rob says even old school methods, like traps, might help breed a smarter critter. You've seen those roach baits, right? You probably used them. It's a little bait. The roach runs into it. It gets some sugar, thinks like, ah, this is so good, mm -hmm. and uh, runs out and shares it with its friends, and they all die. Right. Well, a few years ago, people started noticing there were populations of roaches that like looked at the roach bait, smelled the sugar, and were like, eh, it's, not, it's not for me. And, and, and so they didn't know what was going on. And fast forward, it would, it would turn out that natural selection had favored roaches whose brains were basically rewired so that they no longer detected the sugar in the roach baits as sweet. God, that's just terrifying. And, and so you, you put out the baits and you're like, that's it. And so those have then spread house to house. Because, of course, when you put out the, those roach baits, you favor that variant of the roach. I just want to put you on notice, Rob, that you're going to be getting a call from my wife so that you can walk <laughs> her through all of this stuff. Because the hunting will stop in the O'Connor household. <laughs> if you think about these species, they're telling your story. If you think about, well, what life is in my house? That life is talking about you. It's saying how you're living. Some people's houses are saying, I try to kill everything. Some people's houses are saying, you know, I open my doors. Some are saying, I bake bread every day. What do you want your, the life in your house to say? That's after the break. As a society, we spend a lot of time, attention, and money killing things in our homes like uninvited cockroaches, mice, and termites. But Rob says there's a lot we can learn from our other housemates, the ones that could make our houses, and us, healthier. When you go outside and it's just rained, and, and there's this smell, it's like it's just a really lovely smell, makes you think of spring. Well, that smell is produced by bacteria in a specific genus of bacteria, even a specific kind of bacteria. Now imagine you could have those bacteria in your house and they would produce that aroma in your house, but they would also help to keep pathogens under control. Like, boy, that would be cool. So that would be cool, but how would I pull that off? How would I get that spring rain smell in my house? Yeah, so you can imagine you buy a house plant that comes with soil that already has these bacteria in it. Mm. And so every time you water the plant, you get spring rain and you get some other services from those microbes. And they, they make you feel happy. And for sure, that's achievable. 
I mean, should I let the ants walk around a little bit? Should I, you know, let the fruit flies hang out for a day or two? You've got me intrigued. How do I decide on the beneficials? How do I encourage them? Let the ants do their thing. Let the spiders for sure do their thing. Most listeners probably have a spider species in their house that's never been studied more than once or twice. Really? Um, And so let them be and pay attention to them. You know, if you have a little wasp flying around your house and it's doing you no harm, it might be providing you a service, so leave it be. Just pretend that you're bird watching and that the birds are very, very small. There might be other benefits too. So with that camel cricket, we actually started to think, well, maybe because they eat weird stuff that's hard to digest, they might have bacteria in their guts that could break down human waste, not fecal waste, but pollutants. And those bacteria could break down the waste of the paper and pulp industry and turn it basically into energy. I've heard anecdotal stories. Help me out if this is true. You know, you hear about people raised on a farm being less susceptible to getting allergies, more resistant to getting colds and things like this. Is there truth to that? Yeah, it's it's for sure true. We now know that kids who are exposed to more kinds of microbes when they're young are at much less risk of allergy, asthma, many different kinds of inflammatory disorders. And there have actually been studies where you take dust from a house that's on a working farm where the farm is near the house, and you can give it to asthmatic mice and prevent them from being asthmatic. It's a little more complex than that, but not too much. I mean, if you're an advocate like I am of telling your kids to go outside and play, it's good for you, maybe unknowingly because you're exposing them to dirt and other things. It stands to reason that you would want to take some of that into your house as well and say, okay, well, you know, if I want you to go outside and play and that's good for you, then maybe I don't need it as clean inside my house. Why such the big separation? Maybe we've just been thinking about it the wrong way. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think imagining our houses as being more open to the surrounding environment has many kinds of benefits. One of the good case examples in this context is that dogs have a huge effect on which species are in your house. Oh, really? And in essence, what they're doing is they're bringing the wilderness in with them. Oh, they definitely are. People with dogs when they're pregnant have a reduced risk of asthma and allergy, their kids-to-be do. And we think what's happening is that those kids have gotten just enough exposure to nature to get what they need. And so imagine that we reimagine our houses in a way that let that in. So how else can we invite this good stuff into our homes? Rob brings up dust. So you know when you see the dust falling in your house through like a ray of sun? I won't admit to it, but hypothetically I'll concede. <laughs> yeah, you go to a neighbor's house and, and you, see, you see their dust falling through a ray of sun. So that's mostly skin cells. And on those skin cells are riding thousands and thousands of bacteria species. And so that dust is really full of life. The more open your house is to the outside, the more of those things that are floating around are outdoor microbes. Right. And so a really elegant study a few years ago compared hospital rooms where the windows were open to hospital rooms that had the best air cleaning system. And what they found is there were fewer pathogens in the rooms where the windows were open than the rooms with the good air cleaning system. Oh, man. And so what was happening was like the outside microbes were coming in. They were competing with the pathogens. But when you sealed everything up, there was nothing to compete with them. So they just like, ah, oh, this is our place. 
Then it's not just about letting the centipedes live or resisting the urge to dust constantly. Rob says, imagine pest control bringing life into your home. So imagine you've got termites. There are certain kinds of nematode worms that kill termites. And so this you can actually buy as a termite control. And so here you're relying on one part of nature to keep another part of nature in check. The pest control guy shows up not with a truck and a tank of pesticide necessarily or exclusively, but maybe he's got some pests of his own. Yeah, this is also happening with microbes. So you can now buy products that are beneficial microbes that you spray around your house to provide some of these services we've lost. Hmm. These products are already available. They might kill pathogens. They might help your immune system. So Rob has laid a lot out there. And I have to admit, it's hard to imagine people feeling okay with letting ants set up home in their kitchen or having lace wings fly around, even if they do gas out destructive termites. But if we want to use fewer chemicals in our homes and let these species naturally do their jobs, Rob says we need to change our mindset because we'll never be home alone. And so I think we need to find a way to reconcile our changing understanding of the value of all these species with this pretty deep-seated thing in the back of our head that worries us about them. Post-COVID, it's probably going to be especially hard. But, you know, humans can change their minds very rapidly. So maybe I'll be more optimistic and we'll have a much healthier approach to the rest of life moving forward. Drop us an email at clearstory at thisoldhouse.com to let us know what you think of this episode and if there's anything else you want us to explore. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Clear Story and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Clear Story was produced for This Old House by Catherine Fenelosa at Rococo Punch. Production support from James Trout, Andrea Suahe, Chris Ermides, and Sarah Chase. Thanks to our guest, Rob Dunn. I'm Kevin O'Connor. More next week. Asking for a friend, um, stink bugs? What's up with this invasion? A beautiful evolutionary story, but they rely on the warmth of your house for part of the year. Like they figured out winter sucks, but if I move into Kevin's house, things are good. Real good lately. I tend to try and scoop them up with something that I don't mind it getting stinky and then, then throw them out. Because the truth is, if you squish them, you know, they have the last laugh. Check out the latest This Old House episodes on your local PBS station and on the Roku channel. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for more from our home improvement experts. Sign up for our email newsletter at thisoldhouse.com.